0: Welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast with Robert Curtis, CFP, Accredited Investment Fiduciary from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. In this podcast, we help successful wealth accumulators like you looking to transition to a work optional lifestyle by helping you build strategies for growing and maintaining your wealth. Robert draws from years of experience and fiduciary responsibility and interviews guest experts to help you build reliable strategies to grow and maintain your wealth. Now, on to the show.
1: They may not seem like huge changes, but the recently passed Secure Act 2.0 may offer you some new tools for retirement planning. Your host, Robert Curtis, is here with Emily Vincent, president of Douglas M. Farr Company, to review the revised bill. Robert, tell us more about Emily.
2: Yeah, absolutely, Patrice. Uh, Emily is what's called a third-party administrator. So she oversees a number of pension plans, 401ks, cash balance, profit-sharing plans, things like that. She's part of my value-added support team. I call that VAST As I've referred to on other podcasts, uh, these are integrated professionals that we don't just refer or introduce. They are literally baked into our process. So when clients or folks need some help, uh, she's available, her and her team, she does a great job. I wanted to bring her on today to discuss this Secure Act 2.0. We covered this pretty well uh, in a podcast I did about two episodes ago. But there were some major changes in a 1,200-page bill that came out uh, right between uh, Christmas and uh, New Year's of last year. So we're going to cover a little bit of that material again, but there's also a number of provisions that relate to qualified retirement plans with large uh, or meaningful offsets for people who set up plans. And Emily's going to delve a whole bunch into that. So there's there's a long, long intro for Emily but uh, Emily's an expert in this space, and we're going to go much deeper into this, and that's uh, why we're excited to have her on. So, Emily, I'd like to welcome you. Thanks thanks for being on the podcast. Um, we're going to do some follow-up and future pace and let let folks know what's going on. I, I know Emily has been doing presentations on this. They've been well attended by clients, CPAs, a number of professionals. There's a lot of info to cover, so... Um, I'm going to let Emily introduce herself and launch straight into what she'd like to present.
1: Great. Thanks, Rob. So we we do have a lot to cover today, and we'll just kind of talk high level on some of the main points. Uh, the first one would be the required min- minimum distribution age increase, right? Under the original SECURE Act, um, it, it increased from 70.5 to 72. Under SECURE 2.0, it increases to 73 with the another increase to age 75 in 2032. Um, so as we all know, when you're putting money into a retirement plan, you're getting the tax deductions. Um, and so when you're forced to tar- start taking the money out, the required minimum distributions that's when the government now gets their tax dollars, right? You're paying ordinary income tax on those distributions. So we put this in the win column, pushing the age back. Yeah. We definitely put this in the win column, right? We don't want to take money out unless we have to. Um, and if we can push that date later, great. You can always yep. take it out sooner, age 59 and a half. But um, it's nice to know that the, the forced date is is being pushed back.
2: It, exactly. I completely agree. It's a win it's, it's, it's required. They push the requirement back. You can always take it, but there's two extra years of tax deferral contributions. It's, it's going to go a long way. This is future pacing down the line, but I have a number of clients, you know, who are 50 or under, this is going to benefit huge. So yeah, continue on completely agree.
1: Perfect. So let's hop over to catch-up contributions. So this was, to me, this is the top three of the biggest changes of Secure 2.0. Effective January 1st, 2024, catch-up contributions must be made as Roth, not pre-tax, must be made as Roth if you earn over 145,000 a year. So this is pretty huge, right? A lot of us, Rob, we have clients that are yep. taking advantage of the catch-up, right? They're taking advantage of the extra $7,500, right? They're closer to retirement. So the government says, okay, you're closer to retirement. You can put away more. We call that the catch-up. Instead of that being able to, to be funded as, as pre-tax, it's, it now has to be Roth. And, and the question is, well, what you know, what's $145,000? Is that my household income? Is that my earned wages? And it's a look back year. It's your mm-hmm. W-2 earnings looking at the prior year. So if you earn over 145,000 in 2023, and you take advantage of ketchup, your ketchup must be Roth for 2024.
2: Yeah, we've, we've covered this with, we have a lot of folks in that space. They did have to pay for this bill in some way, so there won't be that <laughs> deduction for the contribution. So, you know, in other ways it could serve people to diversify out. We've had some folks that have done Roth or converted to Roth. This kind of forces it, but, uh, it's part of the package. It'll. I think that takes place next year. Is that is that correct? But, Starts yeah. in
1: 2024. So there's a big push this year because yep. there's some plans. There's some really old plans that don't even have Roth available in them.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know,
1: Roth just became real popular in the past 10, 15 years. So there's some plans that were set up in the 90s that don't even yep. have Roth. So you got to amend the plan and allow for Roth if, if you're going to take advantage of this. The other side of it is the plan could just simply not allow for catch up, right? If you, if you've got a, a a plan where they don't even want to deal with the different taxation, then you would just simply not allow catch up contributions. But um, but I agree with you 100%. I mean, this is how um, this is how they're collecting the money, right? You push the RMD back, well, you're losing tax dollars. So how do you gain it? You you implement Roth.
2: Right. So and it, and then back to a maybe bigger point you were making some some regular recurring review of your plan document for these employers because yes, Roth wasn't around. Ketchup really wasn't around. When I see plans that don't have a Roth or a catch up, they're pretty outdated. There's probably a lot of provisions and someone like you could could get into that and bring it up to speed for what's current. And there's some big changes in this bill. So not not to detract from where you're going, but it it just that's a process we would we would encourage.
1: Sure. The other item I want to talk about in regards to ketchup contributions, starting in 2025, those that are age 60 to 63, so those four years, okay, you have an increased and accelerated catch-up that's now allowed. It's 150% of the regular catch-up limit. And so what that allows individuals to do is to, to put away more per year. It's just sort of twofold, right? So you can put away more ages 60 to 63 with your ketchup. But if you earn over one hundred forty-five thousand, it's now ha- it now has to be done as Roth. So this one was really interesting when when we sort of unfolded this this accelerated catch up, because it's sort of interesting that it's just those four years. You know, makes it yeah on us administrators on payroll on on a lot mm. of individuals. It's just sort of an interesting thing to to track.
2: Yeah, I'll bet. I mean, I yeah, I'm looking at someone who's fifty-five or younger. They can sort of super fund those years. So they're trying to encourage these larger um, contributions, deductions, ramping them up for retirement. So, but Mm -hmm. I I hear where you're coming from. Yep. So
1: Perfect. Yeah. So just to recap, I'm going to move on to something else, but for Ketchup, Ketchup has to be Roth starting in 2024. And then the accelerated Ketchup, that starts in 2025. Okay. Uh, So we'll move on to starter 401k plans. So Uh, these retirement plans are federally regulated, okay? So each individual state in California, we have Cal Savers. Every state has their own individual IRA that they're pushing. So now this is on the federal level. It's not a requirement, but now it's an opportunity to have a 401k plan that's essentially an IRA, okay? It follows the IRA limits. It's not subject to the normal testing that 401k plans have. Um, It does have automatic enrollment, Uh, starting at 3% with a 1% escalation every year. Um, But but this is a great opportunity for those employers that don't want to do a match. They don't want to fund any sort of company contribution, but they don't want to do the state's required plan. They want to have flexibility to use a financial advisor like Rob, right? They want to use a a different financial institution. They don't want to be forced into what the state is requiring them to do. So that's starter 401k plans. Um, The next, and I I would say this is the biggest change in Secure 2.0, automatic enrollment, okay? This is now a requirement. Any 401k plan that is set up after December 29th, 2022, that's the date the president signed Secure 2.0 into law. Any 401k plan started after that date must have an automatic enrollment feature. So just to kind of recap on what automatic enrollment is, your employees will automatically be enrolled into the plan. They would actually have to sign off to not be enrolled in the plan. And we sort of live in a society where people are a little bit more Mm -hmm. on the lazy side and that's more difficult for them to opt out. So they just let it ride. They're at 3% and then every year it increases by 1%, caps at 10%. There are some exemptions to this automatic enrollment requirement. If it's a brand new company, OK, so if the company's been around for less than three years, you don't have to do automatic enrollment or if the company has less than 10 employees, you don't mm-hmm. have to do this automatic enrollment. Uh, and of course, plans that were in existence prior to December 29th. Rob, do you see a lot of automatic enrollment plans with your business owner clients or do you typically see people not go with the automatic? Well,
2: enrollment? you know, uh, automatic, I mean, it's it's brand new. So. I don't see that much in the automatic. Most people sort of do opt in, but their participants can choose to enter or not enter. Um, And that's a conscious decision based on their own cash flow or what they want to do. We make ourselves available for conversations around that. But now it's automatic. So I was going (laughs) to actually ask you, you've actually probably drafted some plans. This was done in, I think you said December 22nd. Now it's the day after Valentine's Day as we record this. Have you actually put this in into any new plans in that brief uh,
1: We have not. Window?
2: Okay. We have not, not yet. yet.
1: And yeah. we have we have about gosh, we have less than 5 automatic enrollment plans. It's just not Okay. Yeah. When, when we're sitting down with a with a business owner and talking about the different options with a 401k plan, most of the business owners say, "I don't want to force anyone into this if they want yes. to be in." Great. And so yeah. that's sort of the opinion of, of, of most business owners. But now 100%. that's yeah, it's just not allowed. Well, that's
2: that's where we come from. And we'd like it to be voluntary. Now the government is sort of mandating these things, which which may not be a bad thing. I think it will probably serve the people. I, I think the more educated, the folks who work with us, they get the advice. They're probably going to help help themselves, but others may may not. Um, but but, you know, we do. We do respect other people. Maybe really stretching out a paycheck and can't can't do that. This is that force savings that longer term may be good for them. It, it's just a, it's just a new thing. Absolutely. But, you know we we support a lot of individual decision, but we definitely think I think more holistically. A lot of people just are not aware. They're not educated, so they don't do it. And it, you know, it may take 10 or 15 years till they're at a certain point before that light goes off and they say, I wish I'd have done this 15 years ago. Uh, so now this, that'll be forced. And I do think it'll serve them. But th- those are just my thoughts. We'd prefer people make their own decisions as opposed to mandates. But uh, the government seem, or or through the legislation, they seem to be saying there's a higher good to forcing people to help themselves. And you know, forcing them into good diets, whether they, you know, would rather eat, you know, <laughs> fast food or not. So any anyway. rate,
1: Yeah. And of course this, the statistics are, are, are accurate with, yeah. you know, if you do automatic enrollment, you know, you do have an increased rate of, of, um, of retirement at the end of the day. It's just, It's just not really the preference of of most business owners. So uh, that that provision, the automatic enrollment, that goes into effect in 2025. So Mm -hmm. when we're setting up plans right now, we're setting them up for, for tax year 2023. So it's important to understand that you can still do whatever you want for 23 and 24. It's just the automatic enrollment must kick in January 1st, 2025. Now, if I'm sitting down with a client and they know that they have to do automatic enrollment in 2025, my suggestion is going to be, let's just start it now. There's there's no point in kicking the can right. down the road. Might as well start it now. That way everyone learns and, and the payroll company's on board and the employees yep. understand and everyone understands how it operates rather than amending the plan in, you know, in 2025 to incorporate the automatic enrollment.
2: But, but these folks can say, like, if I'm the participant, I can say I choose not to do this, right? So count that me out. That is correct.
1: That okay. is correct. You can choose okay. not to. You can opt out. You absolutely can opt out or you can opt in at a different rate. So the automatic yeah. enrollment requirement is a 3% opt in with a 1% of okay. escalation. And, so and
2: ultimately can- I think it'll serve folks. I mean, I I think I think I think where they're coming from is there's some fiduciary duty on the part of the employer if you've got someone who's coming in at 24 years old or doesn't understand it and 10 years goes goes by where they never really fully understood that they could contribute to this thing and accumulate some pretty decent sums. This that'll be forced unless they opt out of it. And there'll be more discussions. I mean, I just think back to myself, the first job I got where I could contribute, I I forced myself to do it. And it did come out of the paycheck. I didn't miss it. But you know, that it grew to a pretty sizable sum. So you started those healthy habits early on. But But they can opt out. So that shouldn't concern any employer if somebody doesn't want to. It more facilitates a discussion of do you want to be in or not. If you Mm -hmm. don't, you know, hey, fill this form out and just check that so we have that documented for our files and you're not obligated. But otherwise, we think it's a it's a good thing to to opt you in.
1: Yeah, I think the hardest part, (laughs) the hardest part is getting started, you know, and I think that this is forcing the start. Right. So once a year goes by and they see they have, you know, 1500 bucks, 2,500 in their account, right. There's no looking back. Um, yeah. So- I
2: think, I think some of these, I'm just, you know, just imagining out in the, for, based on what I've seen and doing this 25 years, but there could be some lower middle, you know, income folks that all of a sudden are forced into this and end up, you know, down the line, life, life goes on and they hit a certain point and it's 40, 50, 60, hundred thousand dollars. And they're like, that wasn't that bad. You know, yeah, I got by things weren't easy, but now I have this. And if I hadn't done that, I'd, yeah. I'd really be stressing to catch up. So I, I think as a kind of a generational thing, I, I, I do think that'll be good.
1: Yeah. So we'll move on to LTPT, a uh, long-term part-time so under the original secure act that passed in in late 2019 that was sort of incorporated in 2020 2020 um LTPT was if you have employees that are that are fairly part time right they're working 500 hours to 999 hours a year if they do those uh those hour requirements for three consecutive years you have to offer the 401k plan to them you have to offer them a place to make contributions. You don't have to match them. You don't have to fund any sort of employer contribution on their behalf, but you have to provide them with the opportunity to participate in your plan. And so that was a rollout from the original SECURE Act. And so that was looking at 2021, 22, 23, and then those people would be able to enter January 1st, 2024. Now the 500 to 999 hours, that comes into play because most plans you're allowed to exclude people that don't work a thousand hours a year. So what what the government was seeing was, well, gosh, there's this huge chunk of people that are less than a thousand hours a year that have no opportunity to participate in a 401k plan. And so that's where that stems from. So Secure 2.0 changed the LTPT rule um, to two years. So two years of 500 to 999 hours, okay? So it's important to note that if you have someone that works 550 hours in the first year and then they drop down to 300 hours, the clock starts all over. They have to have two consecutive years of 500 plus hours in order to have opportunity to participate in the 401k. Concern from my end as a third party administrator, you know, the one filing the 5500 every year, the tax return for the plan. My concern is a plan that has less than 100 participants being pushed into over 100 participants. So as some of you may know, if you have less than 100 participants in your plan, you have a much smaller tax return that you file. Once you have over 100 people in your plan, you have a large plan audit. It's about $15,000 a year. A special um, CPA audit firm does that audit, Um, and it's costly. And so my concern is pushing a small plan, as we say, into a large plan and being forced to do this costly this costly audit because of potentially a lot of part-time people.
2: Oh, and do you see employers on the crux of their creeping up in the 90s and employee-wise? And you're, you're, so you got to say, by the way, if you grow through here, you might as well make it count because you're talking about a $15,000, much more complicated audit. Oh, good. See, it, the it, Emily's it. a resource who can ferret all this out for folks. So that's why we partner with her.
1: <laughs> and so we're, what we're looking at this year for our clients is we're looking at who this affects, right? Who are the businesses? And you, it's a lot of construction companies, right? Where there's people coming and going, maybe they're doing while they're busy and their their hours fluctuate from year to year and certain industries, right. Would, would, would play into that. You know um, if you're a um, cer- certain deadlines that causes you to bring people on and then, and then kind of upload them. Um, So what we're seeing this year is we're really delving into who's in that category, who's in that 500 to 999. And if they are going to be close to 100 or more employees, my opinion, and this doesn't work for everyone, but this is my opinion at the ones we've seen so far, my opinion is to have two separate plans, one plan for your folks over 1000 hours. And if you have enough people that are in the less than 1000 hours, you have a separate plan for those people, the cost of two plans. Right, two plan documents, two tax filings. The cost of two plans with less than 100 employees is less, significantly less than having one large plan with the a large plan audit. All right. Again, That's great, and and
2: they've given you time to re- to review this for existing plans and to have a conversation, right? Rather than making it law retro. So there is. So you're you're providing that value for clients, which is. C- correct. Existing, and thanks for
1: pointing that out. This great. goes yeah. into effect January 1st, 2025, the two years, yeah. and the old was was 2024. So you are correct. It gives you some time to figure out how to, how to deal with this if you are a company that, that has a mm-hmm. lot of part-time people. All right, moving along, we can talk about the startup credit. So some businesses never really got into the 401k space or the profit sharing or defined benefit plan space because they felt like the cost was just too much. They just couldn't, they couldn't provide a benefits plan uh, in addition to the contributions for the employees, whether it's a match or something else. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course the cost to maintain it, right? The cost of where the plan sits, my cost, right? All of the different costs involved. So under the original secure, there was a startup credit of uh, about $250 per person capped at $5,000. So if you had, you know, 50 people, um, you know, it's a $5,000 credit. And and that was a three consecutive year credit, $5,000, $5,000, $5,000. So it essentially made it free to set up a plan. So under the new rule, um, the credit is that and then some, okay? You get a credit of $1,000 per employee, assuming you fund that much for that person per year. And then there's a phase out. Um, so just big picture, because there's there's a lot of details in this big picture is there are sizable credits for setting up these plans. And it's not just the first three years. That's actually goes into five years. Um, and the idea be- behind um, phasing the credit out after five years is that you now have you should at this point have enough money in your plan. Five years has gone by where you can pass this cost on to the employees, right, into the assets of the plan. So typically, the company picks up the cost of running a plan. Uh, but once five years has gone by, you should have enough money in that plan, where if you share it among the employees in the plan, it's, it's, it's nominal, right? So I'm not yeah. sure Rob, if if you've, if you've kind of seen when you're meeting with clients, and they're thinking about setting up a plan, what their sort of opinion is on the cost, and if it's deferred them, d- deterred them, excuse me, t- to setting up a plan or not.
2: Um, It can deter them, but these offsets and these credits and, uh, you know, just for anyone who's considering this, when we set them up, we have a very detailed process and a very open discussion about what are the benefits, what are the costs. We would introduce someone like yourself. We could have this discussion so they they could be, you know, well uh, educated as to, you know, is this a, a good thing? typically the business owners taking the largest deduction and making the largest contributions, So usually it's, it's to their favor, but we have these discussions and the fact that this gets expanded and uh, there's going to be a credit to help you pay for it, to cover fees you have maybe fees I have for my professional services. I, I think that's a real positive.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So moving along to, this would probably be my favorite, family attribution rules. So uh, there are some of the states are community property states and some are not. If family attribution rules in community property states, California is one. Family attribution rules say spouse A and spouse B, while, while they may have separate businesses that they own, they are tied together because it they are attributed of owning the other's business, right? Let's say spouse A is a medical practice, spouse B owns a law practice, okay? Um, When we're setting up these retirement plans, we have to look at that because we have to consider both companies when we do our non-discrimination testing, okay? If there's employees in one company and employees in another, we have to test both plans together to make sure we're not failing any any of the testing that we're subject to do in these retirement plans. So- In Secure 2.0, this has been removed. We no longer have to tie these two together when we're setting up these plans. So the spouse that owns the medical practice, let's say that's a thriving practice, and that spouse wants to have a robust defined benefit plan, okay? Mm -hmm. We don't have to consider the law practice when we're setting Mm. up that plan. This is huge because this. I mean, we have yeah. maybe a dozen clients where this applies to, and and now now they can they can unravel the the connectivity of their of their plans. We've we've always tied them together, so this is huge, right? Because That's it, great. It, it's yeah. common to 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 both be involved in a business. Sometimes they're both owners of businesses, and sometimes mm-hmm. one's more successful than the other. Um, and that right. more successful business needs that tax deduction. They're looking for that deduction. Um, so this one this one was great. So attribution is also eliminated for parents who have minor children um, and separate unrelated businesses. So if you are not in a community property state, um, your child would tie you to your, to your other person, right? So, so I own a business and I have a a five-year-old child. My husband owns a business. If you're not in a community property state, the attribution between child and parent ties you together. My minor child, so that has now been eliminated. Okay, so uh, a, a big win, right? This is a big thumbs up in my, this stems from uh, women being, this This whole thing stems from women sort of being held back now that more and more women are owning businesses. Mm-hmm. They were sort of held back from setting up their own plans because of their husband's business impacting their mm. ability to do certain things. So that's where it stems from. Um, so we're, we're happy about this in, in the industry. The last item that I want to touch on before maybe you kind of shoot me some questions, um, would be simple 401k plans um, now being able to essentially be converted to safe harbor 401k plans mid-year. So the old rule was a simple plan had to see its way through the entire year. Okay, you had to see its way through the entire year. You could not replace a simple with a 401k mid-year. And I would get about a dozen calls a year from businesses that said, hey, it turns out I have a, I'm having a great year. And this simple just isn't enough for me. A
0: mm-hmm. simple
1: is sort of a baby 401k plan. The amount that you can fund is, is less, considerably less than what you can put away in a 401k plan. Great simple plans are great plans for starter businesses. Great plans when you're looking for a tax deduction, but you don't want to you know knock it out of the park. But I would get calls, and I'm sure it's the same for you, Rob, where a business mm-hmm. said, hey, I'm having a great year. I want to do a 401k, but they're stuck. They can't do it until the first of the year. Mm-hmm. Under Secure 2.0, You can replace a simple with a safe harbor 401k at any time during the year. Um, So that's huge. You just have to take into consideration the contributions that have been made thus far in the year. You cannot exceed those limits. You know, plan A plus plan B cannot exceed the total limit for the year.
2: And do you find, um, I see a few folks that do simples, which by the way, S-I-M-P-L-E, I don't know about your professional opinion, they're not simple. Uh, <laughs> by any, it's a terrible mis, terrible misnomer. But the um, to save a little bit of money. But now, with these, can one use these credits to offset many potential increase costs, or or in that conversion, or or not? Or-
1: Great question. So the the startup credits are for brand new plans.
2: Okay. Okay. So
1: if you set the simple up in 2022 and you want to convert yep. to, uh, well, actually, I should clarified that this goes into effect in 2024. So let's say Mm -hmm. you set the simple up in 2022. You have it for 2023. And then in 2024, you now start your 401k. You're within the five years. So you Mm -hmm. still can claim the third year of the $5,000 startup credit. And then you still get years three, four, and five of your contribution credits. So you, you don't get the full five years, but you do take advantage of the startup credit.
2: But for an existing uh, existing simple plan that's been in place, perhaps they could they start a new plan next year, like a four hundred one k. Get those startup credits, and then maybe move their simple into that, or can would that work? Because that's yes, considered you, a you new. Yes, you can. Okay. you can set up there a four hundred one k,
1: and and you would qualify for the startup credits. It's just you wouldn't qualify for year one of the startup credit because okay. you had a simple in years. Oh, plan. I
2: see. Okay, but that could be a big opportunity for someone to upgrade. The Absolutely. business owner to take a larger deduction, more flexibility. Um, Absolutely. And as you know, okay.
1: the the two-year wait, right? So when you have a simple and you and you set up a 401k plan or any other retirement plan, you have to wait two years from when those contributions first started in the simple before you can roll them over to the 401k plan. If you convert the simple to a 401k, you don't have to wait two years. You can roll that money over right away. So that's 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 a good thing there.
2: That's great. Um, anything else? That's an awful lot of information, but as you can see, Emily's a terrific resource. I can put you in touch. We'll have links in the show notes to how to reach out to her, but any other um, you know, big takeaways or points you want to- um...
1: Yeah. A few more notes I can I can share with you would be the old rule was you could force out a distribution when someone has less than $5,000 in their account. That's changing to $7,000 in 2024. And what that means is when we're talking about these large plans, you know, a small plan being forced into large plan status, 100 people, costly audit, right? Sometimes what we see when we take over a 401k plan, we see that there's like 30 people that have terminated and never been paid out. And they all have these tiny balances. So this being able to force out distributions under 5,000 would allow us to get rid of these tiny balances. So we don't push a plan into large plan status. Um, but now that it's increased to 7,000, that's, that's a win in our book as well. Um, so that starts in 2024 and that's, that's it. I mean, there's a lot here. I mean, this is 350 pages of legislation. So, you know, if you're having trouble sleeping, you know, that might be, it might be a good read. <laughs> I can share the highlights, but there are some uh-huh. in there.
2: Yeah, no, this, this is great. I know on the last thing, forcing, you know, the, these companies are providing it as a benefit to their employees, but sometimes you have folks that worked for you for 10 years ago that have long since left and they're still in the plan. So Emily can look at all this. I'm very versed in it. We just wanted to bring some of these changes. If that facilitates some questions or a conversation, please reach out to us. We'd love to help. This is part of our process. I I would say overall, we're pretty excited about some of these changes that I just think are going to make it easier for people to accumulate larger sums, you know, for their retirement and take larger deductions and given the pace of inflation and whatnot, people are going to need larger balances to sustain their quality of living is is my overall thought. So I really appreciate it. Emily and I have worked on a number of plans. We work very closely together. So Happy to bring you in anytime and really, really appreciate you laying this out for us, Emily. Thanks.
1: You bet. Thank you. Sounds good. Follow this podcast to know when the latest episode is ready for you. And of course, share with others. Thanks for being with us.
0: Thank you for listening to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Signature Estate and Investment Advisors or Royal Alliance Associates, Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice.